Welcome, everybody. This is Allie Moon. You are listening to Lyrical Audio Candy Tour. Is this mic on? I don't know. I was given the advice by my son to keep the microphone away from your face, Mom. (laughs) Here I want to speak like two to three inches away. He's like, no, it has to be further. So, gosh, I'm probably about six inches away. I don't know if it sounds any better, but I can barely hear myself at all through these headphones. So, I don't know. We'll try it. We'll see how it goes. And I have another installment for you. Letters 43 through 45. This is a reading of Dangerous Liaisons by Pierre Chevalon de Leclos. It is a book that is just a series of letters between the characters and the letters tell the story. It's a very unique book. It was made into a movie, Dangerous Liaisons. Go check it out. I keep talking about all the different characters. If you're just coming into this, you know, sometimes on my episodes, I'll have an episode and then all of a sudden it'll run into the next one. If you listen to it on um, Apple Podcast, it'll just pop into the next thing and it's Dangerous Liaisons. And you're like, what is this? <laughs> and you're finally like, what is this? Yeah, so if you're just joining me, (laughs) it's a book that has four parts. We are still in part one. We have maybe four or five more letters to go after this, and then we have completed part one. Um, But it's a story about seduction, uh, corrupting other people, taking revenge, a little bit of love triangle going on. So it's, it's one of those books where... It's interesting to read the book, but it's really cool to watch the movie too. And then to know these little inside stories. I like it. I'm going to have to rewatch. Like when all this is said and done, I'm going to rewatch the movie. I actually watched the movie before I even started this again. I've probably seen it about, I don't know, 10 times. It was one of my favorites. I had a VHS copy growing up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, without further delay, letters 43 through 45. Again, this is Allie Moon. I'm narrating Dangerous Liaisons. Enjoy. Letter 43. The Presidente de Tervella to the Vicomte de Valmont. Why seek to lessen my feelings of gratitude, monsieur? Why should you wish to accede to only half of what I demand of you and try to bargain, as it were, over a perfectly straightforward course of action? Is it not enough that I feel how much I ask of you? Not only are you asking a great deal, you are asking the impossible. For if my friends have talked about you, they have done so simply out of concern for me. And even if they are mistaken... Their intentions were nonetheless good. And you are proposing that I should acknowledge this mark of friendship on their part by betraying their trust. I have already put myself in the wrong by telling you about it. And now, you make me only too aware of this. What with anyone else would have been just candor is madness where you are concerned, and I should be guilty of great wrongdoing if I yielded to your demands. I appeal to you on your honor. Did you believe I was capable of doing that? Should you ever have proposed such a thing? No, of course not. 
and I am sure when you reflect upon it further, you will no longer press me on the matter. Your request that I write to you is scarcely easier to grant, and, in all fairness, you cannot lay the blame for this on me. I do not wish to offend you, but in view of the reputation you have acquired, and which, on your own admission, you at least partly deserve, how could any woman admit to being in correspondence with you? And how could an honest woman be capable of resolving to do what she knows she must keep secret? And another thing, if I could be certain your letters were such that I would never have reason to complain of them, that I might always be able to justify in my own mind the receiving of them, then perhaps the desire to prove to you that I am guided by reason and not hatred would make me override these powerful considerations and go much further than I ought in allowing you to write to me occasionally. If indeed you desire this as much as you say you do, you will abide willingly by the single condition which could make me agree to it. And if you are at all grateful for what I am doing at this moment, for your sake, you will not put off your departure any longer. Allow me to observe, while on this subject, that you received a letter this morning, but did not take advantage of it to announce your departure to Madame de Rosemonde, as you promised. I hope henceforth that nothing will stop you keeping your word." I trust, above all, that you will not, on that account, wait for me to grant the interview you asked for, and which I absolutely do not wish to have with you. And instead, of the orders you say you find necessary, you will make due with this plea, which I make to you now once again. Farewell, Monsieur. From 27, August 17. Letter 44. The Vicomte de Vamont to the Marquise de Montreuil. Share my joy, my dearest. She loves me. I have triumphed over her unruly heart. In vain she pretends to hide it. Happily, my cleverness has discovered her secret. Thanks to my painstaking exertions, I have found out everything I need to know. Since last night, oh, blessed night... I am once more in my element. I have come into my own again. I have lifted the veil from a twofold mystery of love and infamy. I shall enjoy the one and be revenged for the other. I shall fly from pleasure to pleasure. The very thought of it transports me into a state in which I have some trouble reminding myself to proceed with caution. And I may have trouble, too, in putting some order into my account of what occurred. But let me try. Only yesterday, after writing you a letter, I received one from the celestial being. I am sending it to you. You will see that she gives me, in the least clumsy manner possible, permission to write to her. But she urges me to leave and I knew I should not be able to postpone it much longer without damaging my cause. However, I was still uncertain what to do, because I was tormented by the desire to know who could have said things about me. I made an attempt to win over the maid, and have her empty her mistress's pockets for me. 
which she could easily do in the evening, and put things back next morning without arousing the least suspicion. I offered her ten louis for this small service, but she turned out to be a timid or conscientious prude of a girl who could be won over by neither money nor eloquence. I was still lecturing her when the supper bell went. I had to leave her. I was only too relieved when she said she would keep my secret, though I was none too sure she would. Never before had I been in such bad humour. I felt compromised, and I blamed myself all evening for my lack of caution. When I had returned, not without some disquiet, to my room, I spoke to my valet, who ought to have some credit with the girl, because of his successful love affair with her. I asked him either to obtain from her what I had asked, or at least ensure her discretion. But though usually so confident, he seemed rather dubious about the success of the undertaking and made an observation on the subject which astonished me by its depth. Monsieur surely knows better than I do, he said. That going to bed with a woman simply makes her do what she likes doing. But it is often a far cry between that and making her do what we want her to do. The rascal's good sense appalls me at times. I vouch for this girl even less, he added. Because I have reason to believe she has another lover. And that I only owe my success with her to the fact that there's so little to do in the country. So... Were it not for my eagerness to serve Monsieur, I should only have had her once. This fellow is a real treasure. As to the secret, he continued, what would be the use of making her promise, since she will risk nothing by telling lies? If we mentioned it to her again, that would only make her more aware of its importance and she would be all the more likely to go trying to curry favour with her mistress. The more sensible he reasoned, the greater the difficulty I was in. Luckily, the fellow was in a garrulous mood, and, as I needed his services, I let him run on. In the course of him telling me about his affair with this girl I learned, since the room she occupies is only separated from that of a mistress by a partition through which suspicious noises might be heard. It was in his own room that they meet each night. I immediately made my plans. I told him about them, and we carried them out successfully. I waited until two in the morning, and then, as agreed, I went to the room where they met, carrying a light, and pretending that I had rung several times without getting an answer. My confidant, who plays his part to perfection, executed a little scene of surprise, despair, and apology, which I brought to a conclusion by pretending I needed some water and sending him to heat some up for me. And the conscientious chambermaid was even more ashamed, for my man tried to outdo me in the ingenuity by making sure she was attired in a manner admissible for though not excused by, the time of year. Knowing that the more humiliated the girl was, the more easily I could deal with her. I did not allow her to change either her position or her state of undress. 
and when I had ordered my valet to wait for me in the rooms, I sat down beside her on the bed, which was in extreme disarray, and began to talk to her. I needed to retain the authority that circumstances had given over her, so I remained composed in a manner which would have done credit to the restrained Scipio himself, and without taking the smallest liberty with her, which, however, the occasion and her exposure would seem to give her reason to expect, I talked business to her as calmly as if I were talking to the public prosecutor. My conditions were that I would keep the secret faithfully as long as she would hand over to me at roughly the same time the following day the contents of her mistress's pockets. Moreover, I added, I offered you ten louis yesterday, and I am promising you them again today. I do not wish to abuse your position. All was granted, as you can guess. So I retired, and allowed the happy couple to make up for lost time. I used mine to get some sleep, and when I woke, needing an excuse to leave my beauty's letter unanswered, before going through her papers something I should not be able to do until the following night, I decided to go out hunting, and I spent nearly the whole day in that pursuit. On my return, I was received rather coldly. I inclined to believe that there was a touch of pique that I was showing so little eagerness to make the most of the time I had left, especially since the kinder letter she had written to me. I suppose this because Madame de Rosemonde chided me a little for my long absence and my beauty replied, with some asperity, "'Oh, we must not scold Monsieur de Vermont for enjoying the one pleasure he may find here.' I complained of the unfairness of this remark, and took the opportunity to assure them that I enjoyed the company of the lady so much that I would put off writing a very interesting letter that I had to send I added that, since for several nights I had been unable to get any rest.' I wished to see whether being very tired would restore my sleep to me, and my look was enough to make her understand both what my letter was about and the cause of my sleeplessness. Throughout the evening I was careful to retain an air of gentle melancholy, which seemed to have some success, and beneath which I hid my impatience for the hour, when the secret being so obstinately hidden from me would be revealed." Finally, we separated, and a little while later the faithful chambermaid came to bring me the reward that we had agreed for my discretion. Once I had my hands on this treasure, I proceeded to its examination with my customary prudence, for it was vital to put everything back in its place. First, I found two letters from the husband, an indigestible hotch-potch of details about legal proceedings and outpourings of conjugal love, which I was patient enough to read in their entirety, and where I found not a single mention of myself. They made me cross, and I put them back, but my temper was improved by finding in my hand the pieces of my famous letter from Dijon carefully joined together. Fortunately, upon a whim, I glanced through it again. You can imagine how delighted I was to detect upon it the quite distinct 
traces of tears of my adorable devotee. I admit I gave in to an innocent impulse and kissed this letter with a passion I no longer thought myself capable of. I continued my happy research. I rediscovered all my letters together in the order they were written, and an even more agreeable surprise was to find the very first one, the one I thought had been sent back to me by the cruel woman, faithfully copied out in her hand, in writing, that was shaky and distorted, proof enough of the sweet agitation of her heart during this activity. Up to that point, I was full of love. Soon this gave way to fury. Who do you suppose it is who wants to ruin me in the eyes of the woman I adore? What fury do you think this vicious enough to engage in such villainy? You know her. It is your friend, your relative. It is Madame de Valanche. You cannot imagine what unspeakable lies that devilish shrew has spun about me. She is the one, the only one, who has made this angelic woman worried that she is in danger. It is through her advice, because of her pernicious warnings, that I am forced to leave. It is to her that I am being sacrificed. Oh, there is no doubt. At all I must seduce her daughter. But that is not enough. I must ruin her. And since the age of this wicked woman protects her from my blows, I must attack her through the object of her affections. So, she wants me to come to Paris? She is obliging me? Very well, then. I shall return. But this will rue the day I came. I am very sorry that Donsney should be the hero of this adventure. He is fundamentally an honest man, and that will get in our way. However, he is in love, and I see him frequently. Perhaps there may be some way of profiting from this. But I am forgetting myself in my rage, and that I must tell you all about what happened today. Let us resume. This morning I saw my sensitive prude again. I had never seen her look so beautiful. It was inevitable. A woman's finest moment, and the only one she can induce that intoxication of the soul. So often talked about, but so rarely experienced, is the one when we are certain of her love, but not of her favours. And it was exactly that situation I found myself in. Perhaps also the idea that I was going to be deprived of the pleasure of seeing her serve to make her more beautiful. Well, when the post arrived, I received your letter of the 27th, and while I was reading it, I was still in two minds about whether to keep my promise, but I caught my beauty's eye, and it would have been impossible for me to refuse her anything. So, I announced my departure, one moment later, Madame de Rosemonde left us alone together, but I was still four feet away from the timid girl when she got up in a fright, saying, Leave me, leave me, monsieur, for pity's sake, leave me. This fervent prayer 
which revealed the extent of her emotion, only excited me more. I was already close to her, and had caught hold of her hands, which she had placed together with a most touching gesture, and began my tender expressions of love, when some fiend brought Madame de Rosemonde back again. The timid devotee, who does not indeed have good reason to be fearful, saw her opportunity and departed. But I offered her my hand, which she accepted, and, thinking this unwanted gentleness augured well, I tried to squeeze hers, while at the same time renewing my protestations. At first, she tried to pull away, but when I insisted, she gave in with a good enough grace, though without responding either to my gesture or my words. At the door to her room, I tried to kiss her hand before leaving. To begin with, I met with firm resistance, but... My, just remember I'm leaving, uttered in my most tender voice, made her ill at ease and uncertain. Scarcely had the kiss been bestowed when her hand recovered the strength to escape. Then my beauty entered her room, where her maid was waiting. This is where my story ends. As I presume, you will be at the house of the Marichelle de... Tomorrow where I shall certainly not come to find you, and, as I am sure as well, that our first meeting we will have more than one affair to discuss, and notably that of the little Volange, which I have not forgotten. I have decided to send this letter on ahead, and though it is lengthy, I shall close it only just before sending it to the post, for in my present situation everything can depend on a moment's opportunity, I am leaving you in order to go and lie in wait for it. P.S. At eight o'clock in the evening. Nothing new, not a single moment of liberty, even some care taken to prevent it. However, as much regret as decency permits at least, another event which is perhaps not without interest, I am the bearer of an invitation from Madame de Rosemonde, to Madame de Valanche to come and stay a while with her in the country. Farewell, my dear, till tomorrow or the day after at the latest. From 28 August 17. Letter 45. The Presidente de Terval to Madame de Valange. Monsieur de Valmont left today, Madame. I felt that you so much wished for his departure. I should inform you of it. Madame de Rosemonde misses her nephew greatly, and it must be said that his company was agreeable. She spent the entire morning talking to me about him. With her usual perceptiveness, she did not stop singing his praises. I thought I should show enough consideration to listen without contradicting her, particularly because she is right, one must admit, on many counts. And I felt that I was to blame for this separation, and I am not hopeful of being able to compensate for the pleasure I have deprived her of. As you know, my nature is not normally a particularly cheerful one. 
and the sort of life we lead here is unlikely to alter that. Had I not conducted myself according to your advice, I should fear I had acted a little impulsively, for I have been truly troubled by my dear friend's unhappiness. She touched me so deeply I should gladly have mingled my tears with hers. We are living now in hopes that you will accept the invitation that Monsieur de Vaumont will give you from Madame de Rosemonde to come and spend some time with her. I need not tell you the pleasure it will give me to see you here. Indeed, it is your duty to make up for our loss. I shall be delighted to have this earlier opportunity to make the acquaintance of Mademoiselle de Valanche, and to be in a position to further assure you of my respectful regards, etc. From 29 August 17. All right, everybody. Thank you, thank you so very much for returning and spending time with me. Again, we're only probably about four to five letters away from finishing part one. Aren't you excited? We should celebrate. What should we do? We should have a little party. <laughs> we should, because it's a long time. This is so, so long. <laughs> There's four parts. Oh my goodness. But you know what? I'm having fun. And I'm loving the interactions between these characters. Super, super fun. All right. Enjoy the rest of your day. And I'll catch you in the next reading. Bye.